as Dale said, we're going to be looking at Psalm 119. And uh, just a little bit of background, Psalm 119 is the longest of the Psalms. It's the longest chapter in the Bible. Uh, it's got 176 verses. It's got 22 sections. It's, it's what is called an acrostic. So each, uh, there's 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet. And, and so there's 22 sections, a section for each letter. And each section has eight verses that starts with the letter. So the first is basically what we would consider A. And so those eight verses pretty much in the Hebrew started with that first letter or what we would consider A. I read through uh, Psalms 119. I hope you did too. I hope you got a chance to read through it this week. I know Dell asked us to. Read through it several times. I timed it one time. Uh, so you can basically read through all of it, even though it is the longest chapter. I read through it, and I'm a slow reader. I did it in right under 20 minutes. Um, so I encourage you, first and foremost, this week to, to take some time to read it. Even if you just read a section a day or a few sections a day, you can read each of those sections in under a minute. And it's a, it's a good way to start looking at Psalm 119. Uh, as I started studying it, uh, I found out a lot uh, <laughs> of, of uh, history. I, like, I love history. I, I love history. I love looking at church history especially. And so as, as I started down that road, I quickly found out it was like standing under Niagara Falls with your mouth open trying to get a sip of water. It's, there's so much there. Um, Augustine, who is one of the fathers of the church or a, a, a theologian from the fourth century when he did his study on psalms he actually skipped it because he said it was just there was just too much there that he couldn't that he couldn't wrap his mind around how the depth and the width of psalm 119 alistair Begg is another pastor i listened to he said he tried to start teaching it in scotland back when he was 25 years old and he he announced to his church congregation he said i'm we're going to start Psalms 119 on Wednesday night. And he said he made it through about the second section. And he, uh, he abandoned the ship and put it back in the harbor. And he said what really hurt his feelings is that nobody asked why. <laughs> so we're going to try uh, to take the next couple of weeks and look at Psalms 119. We, we've got a, a plan in place today. I'm going to talk about removing and replacing. Uh, Dave's going to talk about redeeming and reviving. And then Dale's going to talk about rejoicing and the zeal that is there. So as we look at uh, Psalm 119, what we see is that it is heavily, heavily, fully based around the law of God, God's word. Um, depending on what commentary you, you look at, uh, be it Matthew Henry, he says there's about 10, others say around seven. Uh, there's these, these seven to ten covenant words for God's word. And uh, they are law, testimonies, precepts, statutes, commandments, rules, and word. If you read each of these 22 sections, you will see that the writer, who a lot of people assume, we don't have his name, but a lot of people assume, and, and for sake of teaching this morning, I'm going to say David was the writer. We're going to look at that, and uh, we can talk about that more later if you want to ask why I I feel that way. It's because a lot of these other 
uh, church uh, fathers believe it was David as well. Uh, so we're going to look at why this author was so committed to the word of God, to see the law of God, and, and, to, and, and to desire this law, this word of God. And so what I want to begin this morning with is, um, actually, let's read, I just want to read to you at least the first eight verses there's so much more, and we're going to go through this at different speeds and at different verses, but at least to get a feel for Psalms 119 and a starting place, let's read those first eight verses. Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walks in the way of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart, who also do no wrong, but walk in his ways. You have, uh, you have commanded your precepts to, keep, to be kept diligently, Oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. Then I shall not be put to shame, having my eyes fixed on all your commandments. I will praise you with an upright heart. When I learn your righteous rules, I will keep your statutes. Do not utterly forsake me. So that's the first eight verses. And a lot of these other sections reflect and mirror a lot of what is said there. And we're going to get into that on down the road. But this morning, uh, where I want to start, and I want to make uh, perfectly clear, is, is the use of God's law. And, and we've talked about God's law. We've talked about the Word of God uh, many times here at Plant Grow Harvest over the past six years. And um, when we use this word law, We've, we've made sure to, to teach that while it includes a hard and fast set of rules, a list of do's and don'ts, uh, that's not what it's limited to. We need to know that it's not limited to just that. And if you've been here at Plant Grow Harvest, I think we've tried to explain on several occasions that God's law cannot be reduced to simple moralism, uh, that the depth and the width of God's law is, is truly rich, and until we reach perfection in heaven, we're not going to be able to grasp all that it is. And I think we've made that fairly clear, is that God's law is so much more than, than uh, legislation. But having said that, <laughs> looking at Psalms 119, while it's not all about this legislation, all about these do's and don'ts, Psalms 119 very much is about right and wrong and do's and don'ts in this part of the law of, of, of God's word. And as soon as I say that, you know, you may sit in your seat and think, oh, wait a second, that's a dangerous territory. That's a dangerous territory. I've seen it. I, I, I agree. I've seen many churches go down the road of legalism and, 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 and strict adherence to moralism. I, I was listening to some sermons this week about the Reformation, and what actually, you know, what changed, what happened. And a lot of what happened was a lot of people broke off and, and took off on this moralistic approach to church, and they left Jesus to the side. And it, and it was the downfall of a lot of churches. And so is it, is it dangerous? Absolutely. But I think it's even more dangerous if we don't teach God's word as is. And look at it exactly as the, what the scriptures say. 
And so, um, one of the Puritans, when I was studying this, one of the Puritans called uh, Psalms 119 the touchstone of vital godliness. And I don't know about you, but I know that's something I need in my life. I need a touchstone of vital godliness, and I need as much of it as I can get. And as we look around the world today, I see, and I think you probably see it too, that there's a necessary correction that is needed for this worldly uh, view that uh, this, that's very familiar and very accepted in a lot of churches. And I hope that it's not present among us in this church, but it wouldn't be surprising if it is. And it's this worldview that states it's entirely legitimate for the Christian to substitute the law of God with the judgment of our own hearts. So that in a sense, now that we're in Christ, we can decide how this thing is to operate and how it's to go. No longer do we have anything to do with the law of God and the uh, obstruction, uh, God's word has no obstruction, isn't obstructing on us. And I've heard a pastor, another pastor say it this way, there are many that want Jesus to save them from their sins, but to stay out of their lives. And I think that is a notion that is prevalent in the churches of our country today. Um, It's expressed in all kinds of ways. We encounter it all around us um, in, in the deconstruction of family life, in what it means to be a man, in what it means to be a woman, what it means to be a parent, what it means to be a child. And and what it means to live within the confines of God's clear instructions. We live, we currently live in a world, in a country, where you can decide if you're a, a boy or a girl. And that's accepted. Ten years ago, it was considered a mental illness. Now it's considered cutting edge. Um, progressiveness. You see, we're not free to frame a system of religion according to our own judgment. If you read this scripture, if you read God's word, you know that's not true. Calvin says, God is only rightly served when we, when his law is obeyed. When we look at the whole of scripture, we see that it is nothing else other uh, than an exposition on the law. It breaks down the law. It shows that the law is the law and it is to be followed and there's only one that does it perfectly. And because He did, we can be saved from our sins. Jim Packer, a great author, great Christian author, big fan of the Puritans, uh, he wrote a book about 45 years ago now. And he said this um, as, a, as a commentary on, those, on the people about 45 years ago. The root cause of the moral flabbiness is that we have neglected God's law. That as a country, he saw 45 years ago. See, that's, it's not new. It's not new to 2020. It didn't, didn't show up with the coronavirus. It's been here. It's been here a while. It's been here my whole life. It's been here your whole life. This moral flabbiness. And it's because we have neglected God's law. As a country, we are morally flabby. 
I'm physically flabby, but I'm also morally flabby. There is no doubt about it. Somebody asked, uh, you can ask this question, heard this, you know, the other day. You think the average, average person, you think they're more scared of moral fa- uh, failure or physical fear? And, and the answer is basically, without question, I think, it's, I think it's physical fear because an atheist will cry out to God if they're 400 yards off the, off the, uh, out in the ocean and their oars fall out of their boat. They're going to be scared. They're going to cry out to God even if they don't believe in Him. But the average person who has offended God and been against God's law, who's broken the Ten Commandments, who's aware of the fact that they're a dreadful liar or they covet or, or they steal, they're, they're going to fail to fall on their knees to forgiveness. We see it all around us. Why? Because we have become morally flabby. We have created this context in which we are able to excuse just about everything and anything we choose to do because of our belief in, in our Lord Jesus is, is not what it should be. It's not where it should be at. So the question is, well, how have Christians in the past combated this flabbiness? How, how have they warred against this? And that's a great question. Earlier, earlier generations were helped using several different tools. Uh, the Heidelberg Catechism, uh, the Dutch used that. Uh, the Anglicans were helped by paying attention to uh, the 39 articles that were written. Uh, Presbyterians were uh, helped by the shorter catechism in the Westminster Confession. And so one of the difficulties of the modern American church is that it's without this identifiable framework in which it gives us a deeper foundation in understanding the Scriptures. And if you're not careful... You can just be swayed by any hybrid of what you hear from any different number of pulpits. And I think that's, that's one of the main reasons we talk about the catechisms. And we, and we do a catechism uh, every Sunday, and we encourage you to do that through the week. Uh, for example, if we're looking at Psalms 119 and we're looking at the law of God, we've looked at these questions last year and we're looking at them again and we're fixing to come up on a few of these. Let's, let's look at one just as an example. Question 7. Let's put that up there. Question 7. It says this. What does the law of God require? And the answer is that we love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength and love our neighbor as ourself. Well, that's good. What about, what about more than that? Can we go any deeper than that? Let's look at 13. What does 13 say? Can anyone keep the law of God perfectly? What's the answer? Since the fall, no human has been able to keep the law of God perfectly. This is something we should know. We should know innately. How about 14? We'll follow that up. Did God create us to uh, unable to keep his law? No. But because of the disobedience of our first parents, Adam and Eve, all of creation has fallen. We are all born in sin and guilt, corrupt in our own nature, and unable to keep God's law. 15. Since no one can keep the law, what is its purpose? What is this purpose of this great law that we were reading about today in Psalms 119? That we may know the holy nature of God and the sinful nature of our hearts and thus our need of a Savior. 
I think it's very easy to discount teachings and, 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 and even teachings of this style of, of catechisms. I know I didn't do it growing up. Um, I did, I mean, we've got this certain model that I think a lot of us grew up with. And uh, I, I think we need to be more intent personally as, as husbands, as, as wives, as, as parents on seeing how do we get to the heart of the matter? How do we not just go through the motions and entrust our, our children's learning of the word to a Sunday school teacher or, or just to hear an hour of preaching on Sundays? I think just as we see in this psalm, there is so much to meditate on in, here, in God's uh, word, in God's law. And we need to be um, bound to it in our daily lives. And we all fall short. I know we do. So with that said, I, I'm going to move on to the to the <laughs> what I was assigned to teach, and it's this remove and replace, and, and uh, remove and replace, and and so there are several verses here. Um, I'm going to start in verse 29, and uh, then we're going to look at 37, then 22. And so what we want to do is see first uh, what God is to remove from us, and then what He replaces it with, um, because that's what we we know. We know that. In each and every one of us, there is a certain type of sin or any number of sins that need to be removed and replaced with new life. And before I even start there, I want to read you uh, Ezekiel thirty-six twenty-six that says this, And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove, I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. And that, that's what we have to see, that God is the one that is going to do this. And that's what we're about to see. Starting in verse 29, it says this, Put false ways far from me and graciously teach me your law. Yours may say something different. Yours may say lying. Put lying far from me and graciously teach me your law. So, the question is, if David is the writer of this, is David admitting something? Is David admitting that he's a liar? Yeah, he is. Am I a liar? Are we all liars? Yeah. It's, it's tough. It's tough when we look at God's word, when we see what we really are and see who he really is. The bad thing is we see who we really are, but the great thing is we see who he really is. And he's the one that makes up for all the shortcomings. How do I know? Because not only does he remove this, does he remove this lying, he replaces it. What does he replace it with? And graciously teach me your law. Graciously teach me your law. Let me tell you what, what it doesn't say here. It doesn't say, and I graciously taught myself your law. No, it doesn't say that. Who does the teaching here? 
Jesus. You see, just like Dale talked this morning, what did they call, what did they call him? Rabbi, right? What does that mean? Good teacher. Jesus alone is the good teacher. We are, we are told, we are commanded to ask, seek, and knock. And Jesus, in His loving kindness, will graciously teach us His law and His ways. So we are to put away lying. Or he, is, he puts away the lying from us. And then He teaches us His law graciously. 37 says this, Turn my eyes from looking at worthless things and give me life in your ways. Turn my eyes from looking at worthless things. Did David look at worthless things 3,000 years ago? Yeah. You know what? Not much has changed because I look at a lot of worthless things today. Um, one of the biggest takeaways in this past year for me is uh, I got, we got five kids. We don't have a lot of hobbies. <laughs> we don't do, a, don't do a whole lot other than, you know, see the kids and stay around the house. But one of my things that I like to do is I like going to movie theaters, and I like eating popcorn, and I like watching movies. And uh, I like doing it by myself. I know that sounds weird. My wife thinks it's weird, but I get away, and I like being by myself. But I haven't done that in over a year. And, and what, what that's shown me in my takeaway is that when I sit back and reflect on that, I spend a lot of time looking at a lot of worthless stuff. Now listen, that doesn't mean that as soon as I can't go start watching movies again, I'm going to start, I'll watch some movies again. But I'm going to try through, through, this, through this process. I've learned I need, I need to check. I need to check with God first. Is this worth my time, Lord? Or is this worthless? There's, there's stuff worth watching, and then there's a lot of stuff that's not worth watching. You know what I'm talking about. <laughs> I know I'm not the only one. Uh, so, what's he going to replace it with? Lord, turn my eyes from looking at worthless things and give me life in your ways. Once again, this is, see what it, it's important to see what it doesn't say. I will give myself life in learning your ways. No. It's all about Him giving us life. It's all about Jesus giving us this life. We, you see, we cannot gain what Jesus doesn't give. We cannot gain what Jesus doesn't give. Jesus graciously teaches us from His law, and He alone gives us life in His way. Last one just for this uh, remove and replace is 22. We're going back to 22. And this one's a little bit different, so I thought we would look at it last. It says this, Take away from me scorn and contempt, for I have kept your testimonies. Take away from me scorn and contempt, for I have kept your testimonies. So why is there scorn and contempt? In contempt. Why? Why is he asking for this to be removed? It says, "For I have kept your testimonies." That's different than these others two. Other two. Well, what's different is that the author here is experiencing the weight of the world coming at him and coming against him for a reason. 
And what's that reason? It's because he has kept the testimonies of God. You see, Satan doesn't concern himself with those that aren't a threat to him. If you don't want to struggle with Satan, it's real easy. <laughs> don't, ch- don't chase after God. I, can, I mean, I'm only speaking from personal experience. I'm telling you, the weeks I have, we preach, or I preach, are the weeks that it's, it's uh, spiritual warfare at its finest. You see, if you're going to truly follow God, if you're, going to, if you're going to keep His testimonies, if you're going to live as an open citizen of the kingdom of God, you better be ready for spiritual warfare. Scorn and contempt is going to come. We didn't learn. Paul doesn't tell us about the armor of God just so we can hang it on the shelf and look at it from time to time. We are to be ready to go. Because if you choose to walk in the footsteps of Jesus, you're going to encounter the world coming against you. And that's what David has done here. Even though he's never met his great-great-great-grandson, he knows his Savior well. And he knows God's Word well. And he knows that as he continues to follow God, as, as he continues to keep his testimonies, that scorn and that contempt is going to come. And so he asked, Lord, please remove this from me. I don't know what your struggle is this morning. I, I don't know what you've come against this past week. I don't know uh, what's ahead of you in this coming week. But know that you can seek God and He ask Him to remove these things of this world. The, the struggles, the strife, the scorn, the contempt. The things of this world. He can remove it from you and replace it with His graciousness, with His life, with His steadfast love. There is hope in Him. My hope is that if you've not made that decision to follow Jesus yet, and you're here this morning, I, I, I encourage you to pray and, and, and to seek the Lord while He can still be found and ask Him to remove the sin from your life and replace it with, with His life. With the blood of righteousness that He spilled on the cross that day so that we may have life in Him. That's where we start. And then, much like what we see here in, in Psalms 119, there's so much room to grow. There's so much more. It's just, salvation is just the beginning. We have an opportunity to fall in love with the Word of God 
and apply it to our lives and just grow in it and grow in it and grow in it. It says the word will, ne- the word will never fade away. While, while all that this world is will fade away, one day when we're in heaven, the word will still be there and we'll still have it. So it'd be best to get familiar with it now if we can. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Thank you for your word. Thank you for uh, your life, Jesus, that you laid down for us so that we may live. I pray that we be better seekers of you. Forgive us where we fall short, Lord. Um, we We don't like to look at ourselves and see ourselves as broken, but we have to know the truth in order to know your truth. That you came for us, a bunch of sinners. That you loved us so much that you died in our place for our sin. And you gave us your word that we can lean on it daily. That we can hide it in our hearts that we don't sin against you. Lord, as, as we go out of here this week, Lord, may the, may the words of our lips and the meditations of our heart be acceptable in your sight. May we seek to follow you as closely as possible. May we seek, uh, seek you, Jesus, so that we can be better husbands and fathers. May we seek you, Jesus, so we can be better mothers and wives. May we seek you so that we can be better employee, employers and employees. Lord, may our lives begin with you. May we die to self and find our identity in you, Jesus, this week. We thank you for all that you've done for us. We thank you for Psalms 119. We thank you uh, for your law, that it steers and guides and directs our path. Lord, may, may we be faithful to follow it. May you give us the strength to follow it. We ask all this in your name. Amen. What's that? Oh, yeah, meal. We got plenty of food. Dale wants me to tell everybody we got plenty of food.